Amen. If you're still standing, you can be seated. Again, glad that you're here. Welcome. And if you're a if you're a member of our Cornerstone family, where uh, we miss you, we wish that you were here, and I uh, can't wait to see you again. And like Nate said, if you are uh, visiting, um, tuning in, if someone uh, passed you along our, the link to our live stream, or if you've just stumbled across this, uh, we're glad that you're here. We look forward to meeting you, and um, yeah. Uh, if for some reason your internet connection uh, blips out or stalls out during the sermon, just know you probably missed the best part, and you can go back and and watch that later. And um, if you have children, uh, small children at home, and, and you're watching this with us, um, I know what that's like. I think by this time last week, we had spilled all of our goldfish crackers, and everyone had to go to the bathroom at the same time, and we had finished all of our coloring books by this point. So children, we're almost halfway there, or we are halfway there. Stay with us. We're glad that you're here. Um, our passage this morning is Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, and we're continuing our series in the book of Philippians, uh, jumping back in, a series that we started a few weeks ago. And just to remind you, our last passage was this beautiful treatment of the, the work of Christ on our behalf, the incarnation. Uh, Paul, uh, Paul has traced for us the, the downward and then the upward trajectory of the ministry of Jesus, how Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he made himself nothing and became a servant and humbled himself to the point of death, but then was exalted by his Father to the throne of heaven. And so we're, we're coming off of this rich, beautiful passage where Paul has fixed our eyes on the perfect, finished, complete work of Christ for us, uh, the work of Christ that he accomplished for us for our salvation, work that cannot be added to or improved upon or taken away from, this work of redemption that Jesus himself declared was finished in his last words on the cross. That's the passage that we're coming off of, which makes our passage this morning very interesting because in the next sentence, in his next breath, Paul seems to pivot hard and go in a different direction. Um, because what you're going to hear him say in the next few sentences is that there actually is work left to be done. That there actually is work left to be done. It's actually not over. There is still salvation work left to do, and it's you that has to do it. Oh, and you need to do it with fear and trembling. <laughs> That's what he says here in verse 12. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And we could read that in verse 12 and think, you know, I knew it. I knew the gospel was just too good to be true. There, I knew there had to be some kind of bait and switch in here somewhere. I, finally, I found that I've, I've found it out. There is something left for me to contribute. There's something left that I've got to do that Jesus didn't do for me that I have to do myself. Maybe he's worked to save me, and now I need to work to stay saved. I need to work out my own salvation. And not only is there work left for me to do, and not only is it left up for me to do it, but apparently I need to do it with this kind of crippling fear and, and constant anxiety um, that I'm not going to do it good enough. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does Paul mean here? And how is this good news for you and me right now? And what does it mean for us as disciples and followers of Jesus in this incredibly weird, strange, 
frustrating time that we're living in right now. Let's read and find out together. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. This is God's word. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would send your spirit to show us Jesus Christ. Um, Open up our hearts, carve out for us ears to hear and a heart to receive with repentance and faith what you show us here in this portion of your gospel. Would you do that for us, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to approach this passage by zeroing in on Paul's exhortation to us to work out our salvation. What does that mean? We're going to come at it with four questions. Four questions. First of all, what does that mean? How do I do it? How long does it take? And what hope do I have along the way? So first of all, what does it mean? What does Paul mean when he says to work out our salvation, because at first glance, it really does look like, doesn't it, that, that Paul has just come off the rails. It seems that he's going against the grain of every other New Testament writer and, and even everything that he has said up to this point. When he, when he tells us that actually salvation does involve two things that you weren't expecting. It involves your work and it involves fear. Let's just be honest. We're not expecting Paul to associate salvation with our work and fearing, but he says it plainly, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is the same Paul who so adamantly has insisted everywhere else that salvation is not by our works, but is by grace alone and through faith alone. All over Galatians, all over Romans, all over everywhere else, a person is not justified by works of the law. So what does Paul mean? Let's, let's dig into what he says here, and let's start with the fact uh, that Paul is talking about salvation. He says, here's what I want you to work out. I want you to work out your salvation. Now, without exception, the Bible always talks about salvation as something that God does for us and that we receive. Salvation is a gift. It's something that's accomplished for us. It's something that's done to us that we receive. God makes sinners righteous in his sight. He justifies us by the life and death of Jesus Christ counted in our place. It's something that God does for us and that we receive without contributing to it. Salvation is something that God does according to his grace and not according to our merit. And he does it completely. It's a package deal. It's, there's nothing left to contribute to it or no way to make it better. When Jesus said in his last words on the cross, it is finished, he really did mean that. He means I am giving you a redemption that you cannot add to or take away from, and it's for free. That's the salvation that Paul is talking about here. Which means that here is what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that you need to work for your salvation. Because your salvation has already been worked for. There's nothing left to earn. And he's not saying that you need to work at your salvation because it's, because it's perfect. It's complete. It's finished. It can't be improved upon by a lifetime of your own best works like we just sung together. 
And he's not saying that you need to figure it out. When he says work out your salvation, he doesn't mean figure it out, as if there's something that's left missing that, that you need to do or that you need to solve. So it's not work for your salvation, and it's not work at it. It's work out your salvation. This is the idea of, of unfolding something, of, of fleshing it out and squeezing it into the cracks, bringing it to bear on all of life, pressing it in and applying it everywhere. Paul is saying, take what is complete, your salvation, and press it into all of the places inside of you and outside of you that are not complete. He's saying the gospel is utterly relevant at all times, in all circumstances, in all places, without exception. There's not one square inch of your life that remains unaffected, that remains untouched by the explosive reality that you are a child of God, that you are a new creation. The gospel has everything to do with everything. And so just because there's nothing left for you to earn doesn't mean that there's nothing left for you to do, Paul is saying. And he's saying, here's what, here's what is left for you to do. A lifetime of working out your salvation, which is complete, and bringing it to bear and fleshing it out and pressing it in into all the areas of your life and your world that are not complete. My son Owen loves to play with Legos, and I think that the last uh, three or four Christmases and birthdays have all involved some kind of big grand Lego set that we give to him. And we always think it's going to take him maybe a few days or weeks to put it together. So we, we give it to him and an hour later he comes out of his room and it's done. It's complete. He's finished it. It's amazing. Um, now obviously Lego sets like that, they don't come pre-made, right? It, it's half of the fun of putting a Lego set together is to, to work it out, to put it together. And so when, when we give Owen a Lego set like that as a gift, it's a gift that requires assembly. It's a gift that does require effort and exertion on his part. But that effort and exertion in no way contributes to him earning that Lego set. It's already his. <laughs> when he puts it together, he doesn't come out of his room and say, okay, dad, I worked it out, I, I put it together, now can I keep it? No, he, he walks out and he says, Dad, I put it together. <laughs> Don't you love it? <laughs> he puts it together because it is his, not in order to make it his. And in the same way, Paul is saying we are to work out our salvation, to bring it to bear on all of life, not in order to keep it and not in order to improve upon it, but because it's already ours, because it's a salvation that we cannot contribute to or improve upon <laughs> But that doesn't mean that there aren't ways that we can't experience God's grace and his power and strength in more deeper and more meaningful ways as we flesh out his salvation. Working out our salvation, it means taking something that's complete and finished and pressing it into the spaces of our life that aren't finished, that aren't complete. The gospel is how God restores us to wholeness in Christ. And that means that working out our salvation is taking, is taking that wholeness and pressing it into the broken places inside of us and outside of us that aren't whole. And you don't have to look very far, do you? 
the gospel has everything to do with everything. Your identity, your history, your parenting, your job, your joblessness, your friends, your hopes, your fears, your successes and failures, your, your money, your lack of money. The gospel has everything to do with everything. So let me ask you this. What does this look like for us right now? In this incredibly strange, frustrating, perhaps fearful time, what does it mean for us to work out our salvation in pandemic, in quarantine, in the frustration and anxiety and fear and restlessness and loneliness that we're all experiencing right now? What does it look like for us to work out our salvation as we watch investments shrivel up, as we watch savings disappear, as we face unemployment, as we watch loved ones hurt, as we perhaps face the very real possibility of getting sick or watching someone that we love get sick. What does it look like for us to take our salvation and flesh it in to these broken places, into these unanswered questions that we all have right now? Brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that the wholeness that we have in Christ is so much greater than the brokenness around us and within us. You can be confident that as you work out your salvation, as you flesh out who you are in Christ, as you take his promises and press them into the broken places of your life and your world, you can be confident that the gospel has everything to do with everything and that the wholeness that he has given you in Christ is greater than the brokenness that you experience inside and around you. So, so that's, what, that's, that's trying to get at what it means to work out our salvation. Secondly, how do I do it? How do, how do I work out this salvation? And here we want to we zoom into this phrase that Paul says, with fear and trembling. He says, work out your salvation, and here's how I want you to do it, with fear and trembling. Now, what does Paul mean by that? Hasn't Paul read... 1 John 4.18, where John writes that perfect love casts out fear and that there's no fear in love. Is Paul trying to tell us that we should be scared of losing our salvation, that, that we should live in constant anxiety and fear, that God is going to change his mind about us when we fail or when, we, when he discovers something about us that no one else has discovered yet? What place does fear and trembling have in the Christian life? What... The words that Paul uses here, fear and trembling, they, they convey the, the sense of awe and reverence and esteem and wonder. It's the idea of holding something in utter deepest respect, of, of seeing something as supremely significant, supremely valuable and weighty and central. It's like, in, in this sense, we could say that, the, that for the planets in our solar system, um, they fear and tremble before the sun because the sun is the center of their existence. It defines their reality. It keeps them in orbit. The sun is the most important thing about the planets because if it wasn't for the sun, they wouldn't be planets. They would, who knows where they would be? The sun keeps them there and is the central fact of their existence. So when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord or this kind of fear and trembling here, it's not talking about abject terror like the kind of terror that I would experience when I watch horror movies or horror films like that, which is why I don't watch them, because I don't like that kind of fear. 
I don't like the kind of fear that something dead and scary and slimy is going to jump out at me or, or show up in my mirror when I'm not looking. I, that's not the kind of fear that he means when he says the fear of the Lord. Now, obviously, there is a healthy kind of fear that we as creatures should have in the presence of the living God, right? I mean, absolutely. And even more, should, should rebel sinners fear standing in the presence of a, of a holy God that they have offended? Absolutely, yes. But think about it like this. If, if you lived in a king's palace and you were caught stealing the king's gold and talking bad about the king's wife, you would, you would quite understandably have a, a kind of fear if that king called you into his courtroom, right? But what if you were, let's say, a, a 10-year-old boy, an orphan boy, who had been brought into the king's palace and adopted as his own son and written into his will, and given the inheritance of the whole palace and the whole kingdom. <laughs> and you had gone from having nothing in the world to having everything because of the king. And you can crawl up in his lap and make him laugh and see his smile <laughs> because you're the apple of his eye. What if that was you? you? You would still fear the king, right? But it wouldn't be that, it wouldn't be that kind of terror that the criminal would feel. <laughs> It would be the kind of fear of a child knowing that your, that your father, who is the king, is the most important thing about who you are and that everything else in the world is secondary. So when Paul says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's saying flesh out your salvation, live out the implications of the gospel as if your salvation is the most important thing about who you are. As if, as if your new identity as a child of the king, saved by grace, is the one defining fact of your whole existence. You see, Paul understands the human heart here, brothers and sisters. He, he knows that it's not a question of if we're going to find something infinitely valuable, something supremely beautiful and worthwhile in this life. It's a matter of what it is. It's not a question of if we're going to live our life for something. It's a question of what we are going to live our lives for. There is going to be something that holds you together, something that you hold to the tightest, something that defines you, something that gives your life meaning and purpose and significance, something that is most important, that is most central to who you are. And it's not a lot. It's not a matter of, of if you're going to live your life fearing something like this. It's a matter of what it is. And Paul is saying, work out your salvation, knowing that literally everything else is secondary to your identity in Christ Jesus. He's saying, work out your salvation, press the gospel into the broken places inside of you and outside of you from the heart posture that your union with Christ is the most important thing about who you are. You know, God has many effective ways of, of exposing our own hearts to us and revealing to us what we really love, what we really value the most. And maybe one of his most effective methods of doing this is trial and suffering. When we, when we lose things, when, when things, when life doesn't go the way that we want them, the way that we want it to, when life hurts, it's in those moments that what we truly value, that what we truly love and fear tends to rise to the surface. 
You don't, you don't realize how much you value your comfort and, until your comfort is taken away from you. You don't realize just how much you really want to be in control until you feel powerless. And you don't realize just how much you need other people to think well of you until they don't. Trials have this way of exposing and revealing to us what's really there, what we really love, what we really fear in this sense. So let me ask you this. What is God showing you during this season, during these days, in these weeks? What is he showing you about what you fear the most, about what you truly value, about what's most important to you? What's rising to the surface? Well, I hope you'll discover, brothers and, brothers and sisters, that, that as God peels the fingers of your heart away from those things that you might love, those things that you might fear more than him, that he's actually peeling your heart away from secondary things that can't give you the life and the joy that you were meant for. And that means that as he's peeling you away from those things, that he's actually peeling you back towards himself in love. <laughs> Even if it takes pain and loss and grief to do it, he's always loving you back to life because he's loving you back towards himself. So, work out your salvation. We've seen what it means and we've seen how to do it. Thirdly, and, and, and briefly here, how long does it take? Um, is working out my salvation, is it something that I do once or is it like a, a New Year's resolution that I come around to maybe once a year or periodically? Or maybe is it possible for me to grow spiritually enough and mature enough in the Christian life that I reach this place where there's nothing left to work out? Where I can say I've, I've reached the finish line, I've, I've worked out all the salvation there is to work out. I think it's important to see here that working out your salvation, it isn't something that we do once or a few times. It's not a box that we check in the Christian life. It's not, it's not a, a finish line. It's not a destination that we can reach and then move past in the Christian life. Instead, it's a lifestyle. It's a process. It's a never-ending journey. Like, you, like we read before in the service, it's a race that is set before us that we actually never finish on this side of heaven. We actually never arrive at the finish line, at this place where we can say, I've worked out all my salvation. I'm glad that's over. In fact, it's actually the opposite. The Christian life on this side of heaven, it's more like a, it's more like a race. It's more like a journey away from that finish line. <laughs> That you actually get further and further away from that finish line. You never arrive at the place where you can say, I'm done. I'm done working it out, and there's no more salvation left to work out. <laughs> now listen, that might sound exhausting. That might sound daunting and intimidating to you. But listen, brothers and sisters, this is why this is good news. It's good news because your salvation, who you are in Jesus Christ, and the riches of the gospel... It's always so much better, and it's so much bigger than you could possibly imagine. Always. The gospel is like a lake of goodness and beauty and joy that you can dive in, but you'll never reach the bottom of. The gospel is it's a well of life that will never run dry. It is, it is a treasure that you can never spend all of. It's good news that the gospel is like that because Life is always changing, isn't it? 
Life can change so quickly and so fast and so dramatically like we're learning. Our children grow up. People come and go. Great joy and great sorrow can come out of nowhere. A virus can come and infect the planet in a few months' time and shut whole countries down. Life can change and circumstances can change and it's good news that the gospel is always so much bigger and so much better than you can possibly imagine and you'll never actually get to the bottom of it. (laughs) That God is always inviting you deeper and deeper into experiencing his love and his joy and his power, his goodness and his beauty as you work out your salvation and press it into the wounds inside of you and outside of you. There's always more of it, and it never runs out. (laughs) That means that working out your salvation is a journey into the very heart of God, a journey into the heart of God, and as you journey further up and further in, you would actually never want this journey to end. (laughs) And it never does, brothers and sisters. The gospel is always so much bigger and so much better than you can possibly imagine, and that's good news right now. Because fourthly and lastly, the question is, what, what hope do we have along the way? What hope is there for this journey, for this race that's set before us, this, this life that's ahead of us where we're called to flesh out the salvation that we have in Christ? Um, what hope do we have for the journey? Because the road is long and dangerous, and there are twists and turns along the way and ups and downs, and there are so many ways ahead of us that we can see where we have the possibility of failing, and there are so many places behind us where we actually have failed. So what hope do you have for the journey? What hope do you have for fleshing out your salvation in the life that God has called you to right now? Well, Paul says the hope that you have is that you're not traveling alone, that you're actually not journeying alone. You're not the only one on the road. Paul would say the Christian life, it's, it's not so much like a father trying to teach his child to, to ride a bicycle, and, and he runs along with him for, a good, for a, a good ways along the road, but eventually reaches this place where he lets the child go on his own, and he stays behind. Paul would say, no, the Christian life, is, it's actually more like like a father teaching his child to, to learn how to ride a bike, and the, and the child reaches a place on the road where he thinks he's on his own, and it gets hard, but, but he turns around and he realizes that the bike is actually a two-seater, and his father has been there the whole time, pedaling with him and steering with him and riding with him. That's the hope that we have for the journey, brothers and sisters, that as we work out our salvation, that we're not the only ones at work. <laughs> Paul says in verse 13, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is saying, here's the good news. The good news is that God knows better than you and better than anybody else that if he were to let you go for one second on this journey, that you wouldn't make it. (laughs) That if he were to back up and let you will and work on your own, on your own resources, on your own spiritual strength and your own capacity, that it would be a disaster. (laughs) And that God knows that even better than you do. The hope that we have for this journey is that as we are working out our salvation, that God is the one who is working in us all of the grace and all of the power and strength that we need for the journey.
And here's what that means, brothers and sisters and friends. It means that the Christian life is not a journey towards spiritual independence, but it's a journey more and more into spiritual dependence. Christian growth is, is not a growth out of our weakness and our neediness. It's actually growth deeper into our weakness and our neediness so that we can experience and know the strength of Christ more and more. Jesus is just not interested in you growing up to a point in your Christian life where you don't need him anymore. That was never the point of it. <laughs> he wants you to grow more and more in your awareness that you need him more than you ever dreamed that you did. And that's the hope that we have, brothers and sisters, that on this journey, as we work out our salvation in this life, that we never do it alone. And it's never just us that is at work. The more we work out our salvation, the more we become aware of just how desperately we need him, of just how desperately we need God to be working in us as we work out our salvation. That's the hope that we have, brothers and sisters. And as you journey... <laughs> That God, grow, that, that God grows you deeper and deeper into your own weakness because it's there that you find his strength. We'll close with this. The, the hope that you have, finally, is that, is that the God of the universe has tied his own joy to your salvation. His own joy is at stake, Paul says. He says, don't miss this last phrase. He says that he is working in you to will and to work why? For his good pleasure. That's the word for delight, for joy, for his good pleasure. That means that as you journey, that as you work out your salvation, as you press the gospel into the broken places of your life and your world, that you journey as a child who is the delight and joy of his father. That you don't journey towards the joy and delight of God that you don't have already but you journey from the joy and the, and the delight that you already have in him because it is his good pleasure that is already at work in you as you work out your salvation. And so as you journey this week, brothers and sisters and friends, as you work out your salvation and press the gospel into the wounds inside of you and outside of you, may your hope be in his constant presence that he will never leave you or forsake you. And in the words of Eric Little from Chariots of Fire, as you run, may you feel his good pleasure. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we pray that as we run, that you would give us eyes to see you seeing us, that we would feel and know the good pleasure of our Father as we work out the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, as you lead us further and further into our own weakness, would you let us see more and experience more of the deep, profound, and joyous good news of the gospel that there is more strength to be found in who you are. And so, oh, Lord, lead us, we pray, and we ask this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.